Hey there, welcome to Jay Hutch Talks Too Much. Um, this week we are talking about one of my favorite movies, The Night of the Hunter, and I'm here with my my cousin, um, owner co-owner of uh, several um, repertory cinemas throughout Southern Ontario. Actually, am I using that term correctly? Repertory cinemas? or are they Let's say independent. Okay, let's say independent. <laughs> independent cinemas throughout Southern Ontario. Um, Daniel Dumois, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Yeah, this is awesome. So um, actually a few weeks ago, I did a, a podcast on a movie called um, I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. Have you seen that movie? I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang? No, I'm afraid I haven't, no. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't seen it before. I, I The first time I saw it was about four days before I did the podcast on it. But in that video, I um, talk about how on Letterboxd, I have these two private lists. I have mm -hmm. my um, my favorite movie list and I have my really favorite movie list. Oh. And my favorite movie list has 232 movies in it. And my really favorite movie list has about 75 in it. Mm -hmm. So all the movies I've talked about so far are in my favorite movie list, but only two movies are in my really favorite movie list. And the right. first was The Bicycle Thieves. And the second one is this one that we're doing today, uh, The Night of the Hunter. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, and I know because I uh, I saw on your uh, list on letterbox that this is also one of your favorite movies well. yeah it is loved it for a long time it's a great one yeah so what is your experience with this movie i the first time i saw it was two years ago um and i and I, then i bought the dvd or the blu-ray and i haven't seen it since until just a few days ago so what's your sort of background with this movie my background is probably that i became familiar with it um just by seeing photos initially of Robert Mitchum um, as the, the evil reverend or, or preacher, um, just seeing the love hate, you know, seeing it referenced in other things, obviously like do the right thing or um, other stuff like that. So I think probably I, I knew I was familiar with it as a cultural, you know, touchstone before, well before I, I saw it. And it was probably, late teens, early 20s that I saw it for the first time. And I think I was probably slightly disappointed the first time I saw it because I maybe expected more of a, you know, you're you, when you're young and you're watching horror movies, you kind of want to watch something that's going to be shocking. And right. I think yeah, it's interesting now to go back and watch it because I, I do find part of parts of it quite shocking for the time. But when I was younger, it didn't really... Um, necessarily have the effect that I was looking for, but it still stood out because there's something interesting and weird about it. And I would revisit it over the years, every few years, and every time I'd watch it, it would just grow in stature in my, and, and get, keep getting bumped up that list. And uh, yeah, and now it's just something that is kind of like a um, an annual something, or maybe every few years, something that I'll, I'll need to revisit. Um, that you, you bring up something that actually I wanted to ask you about, because you are much more of a horror movie fan than I am. I, I mm. tend to not really watch too many horror movies. <clears throat> but if you look at your list, again, on Letterboxd, it's it's full of a lot of horror films. Yeah. And um, mostly things that I haven't even heard of, I would say. Uh, just because I'm not... I feel like you have to be... I could be wrong about this, but I feel like you almost have to be in a horror movie world to hear about certain titles. And if you're not in that world, these titles just seem sort of foreign to you yeah that, that makes sense yeah that, that that makes sense it's uh it's kind of um it's like it's like people who like science fiction you know what i mean you right. uh, you, you kind of gravitate towards the genre 
that you might love. And uh, I, like I studied horror in university quite a bit. Like I was, I think I was surprised that there were even courses on horror films. I didn't know any of the uh, writing that had been done in the 70s or 80s about horror movies. But the fact that there were courses about it made me think, oh, I should check this out. And then finding out that these movies actually had some kind of cultural significance or held a mirror up to society. I found that really interesting. So um, not, that a lot of, not that a lot of my favorites necessarily do that very successfully. Like at a certain point, you kind of, with your horror watching, you get to a point where you just like the, uh, the vibe. You like the dreamscapes of it. Uh, not necessarily about the, the blood and the guts. <laughs> right. Yeah. And actually, when you talk about dreamscapes, <clears throat> I feel like this movie probably contains perhaps a lot of those. But I will say, actually, I, I never even thought of this movie as a horror movie until I started reading about it. Like, I, I watched it. I thought, that's an amazing movie. It, it, when I watched it again, like I said, I, I was just, you know, I was in my late 30s when I watched it for the first time. And it immediately became one of my favorite movies. But but I, I, in my head, I didn't categorize it as a horror movie. And then you start to read about it, and a, and a lot of people tend to categorize it that way. But I don't know why I didn't necessarily make it make that connection. Maybe I, my thinking about horror is very much a 1970s or 1980s horror aesthetic. I'm not sure, or that kind of 1930s universal kind of horror, and it doesn't really fit comfortably into either of those categories. No, and I think that's kind of a, well, yeah, like, well, that's one of the interesting things about this movie is that the it is so kind of hard to pigeonhole. Like, you can't really say it's part of any genre. The horror, the horror aspect, I guess, really just only come, does only come down to the fact that there's a, a, a killer on the loose who's trying to get these people. And it's kind of like a, uh, you know, like, a, like, it's all, it's, it's really not that far removed from Michael Myers chasing around Jamie Lee Curtis or even the, the Terminator. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of this unstoppable thing that just keeps following them. And yeah. I think that that's kind of a, uh, something that is, um, I wouldn't say it necessarily inspired those movies, but I think there's something in there where he's just kind of this, this menace, this evil menace that can keep coming and coming and yeah. kind of get away, away from him. And I kind of, and sort of a little bit like the Terminator and a little bit like, maybe a zombie movie to some degree. Yeah. I, I like the fact that Robert Mitchum's character, and maybe at some point we should kind of try to explain what the movie is about, but I do, I do like um, how R Robert Mitchum, the main uh, character, Reverend Harry Powell, he moves very slowly. Like, I mean, this is, this is a, there are some moments of kind of intense chasing, but mm -hmm. a lot of the, I would say there's a chase sequence in the movie and a lot of that chase sequence takes place either on the water um, and through very slow moving water, not like some going over the rapids or anything yeah, like yeah. that. And, and with, and with uh, those, the kids who he's chasing are on the water and then the chaser Reverend Harry Powell is on horseback. Mm -hmm. um, and that ultimately leads to actually one of my favorite lines in the whole movie where the kids finally are trying to rest for the night and they go into this like hayloft and they go up, climb up the ladder into the hayloft and the boy looks out and he sees Robert Mitchum riding by on horseback, singing the song that he always sings. And the boy says, doesn't he ever sleep? Yeah. It's, the it's best. a great line. Yeah. No. And it's, it's a great shot. And it's just like him in the background. Like he's always out there. 
It's like it's like it's a bad dream. You can't you just can't escape. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I could see from his perspective, the kid's perspective. This just does not make any sense. How could he be here? Like yeah. we have come so far, um, and so in some ways, he's almost anticipating the audience response, which is like, mm -hmm. this is crazy. There's no way he should still be this close to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, he's he's a menace. He's great, and. Uh, yeah, and what a funny character too, the Robert Mitchum character. Like he's so um, he's so all over the place too. And I was gonna compare him to the way you said that. Just reminded me of like, I don't know how familiar you are with old like cartoons. Uh, I'm not that familiar, but I've I've seen there's a there's like a droopy cartoon where um, he's like chasing after a criminal, and the criminal takes like an airplane, goes across the country. And Droopy's there waiting for him. He goes back <laughs> and he's there waiting for him. It's kind of like, how is this possible? Right. There is, I don't know why, that, but I've been thinking about the, the Mitchum character and some people have commented on this, but it's it's interesting how he is such a menace, but there are moments of laughable, like buffoonery almost. Mm -hmm. Like like when he's screaming like an animal or when he's like falling in the mud. There's just, <laughs> uh, he, he's kind of, there's something not traditional about his villainy at times because he isn't, he's still fallible. He's still kind of a goof. Like he's still kind of just a, a man, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that the movie, while it has some very real moments in it, it does nevertheless sort of exist in, to me anyways, I don't know if you agree, but it kind of exists in a sort of a fantasy world. Like there's, the movie doesn't look like real life to me at least. And, um, and Mitchum's character is kind of a fantasy in many ways as well. And it, and is a bit cartoonish, like you say that, that, and here I'm just going to skip right to something that happens at the end of the movie. But when he does get shot at, um, he doesn't, he does not react the way you would kind of expect a scary, murderous character to, yeah. to act uh, at least not even with the kind of, even with the sort of reputation they've built up about him, maybe he's killed. I mean, this is another kind of amusing part about it as amusing as murder can get, but it's, it's amusing in the sense that at the beginning, he's like, how many have I killed now? Have I killed six, 12? Yeah. I guess a big leap from six to 12 to 12. <laughs> like, oh, I could see maybe six or was it seven, but no, it's either six or 12. Yeah, he remembers them in multiples of six for some reason, <laughs> and um, and so that's kind of amusing. And then he does when he gets shot at the end, he screams like an animal, and then like runs off like he's been, like like when the like uh, to, to give a real lowbrow reference, like when the bear gets shot in the great outdoors, yeah, and uh, just kind of runs off. Um, it kind it of reminds me. Of, it, remind, it always reminded me of Daffy Duck. Like, like I don't. I always think of Roger Rabbit when Daffy Duck is getting uh, when he gets uh, destroyed in the piano fight. I don't know if you remember that, but he makes a noise kind of similar to that, and right. again ru runs off like a pathetic little, you know, yeah, like a nothing. And it's and, it's so funny. And that's ultimately how he gets caught. Like, yeah. a, a spoiler alert, but that is that's ultimately. I mean, it's been how many years since this movie's been out, but um, yes. but that is ultimately the end of his of his character at that point. Mm -hmm. He goes off and runs into the barn or whatever, and then the cops come and take him away, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's almost it's almost an anticlimactic ending, although I think significantly that's not the end of the movie. It goes on for about another ten minutes after that, but. Um, and when there's a lot of stuff going on there and I think a lot of stuff to talk about that. But um, 
like what 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 would you say is before we really get into the the movie and what it's about and all that stuff why do you, why do you consider it to be a great movie um for me it's that it is so difficult to to uh tie down i guess and it it's the thing that you mentioned about how it is kind of like a fairy tale like he like i i, I like things like that i like when it's kind of takes something that is seemingly I like things that seem like they're for kids almost, but but are not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating where you take like a children's story, but make it for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's the wicked stepfather, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and and you've got Lillian Gish as the 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 the, um, the fairy godmother, you know? I think that stuff is uh, very interesting. And I love movies from children's perspectives. Like I don't feel like there's a lot of great films. Well, there are, there's a handful, but um, I love that it's a film from a children's perspective that points out the uh you know the issues of like the problems of adults i Mm -hmm. I love stuff like that i love when Mm -hmm. adults are um seen through children's eyes and Mm -hmm. uh and it brings to mind movies like i guess you know to kill a mockingbird or um i guess that's a obvious one because it's like another southern film um or like um i don't know the james mason movie bigger than life is a good one where uh, i don't know if you've seen that but the father's like he's on medication and he becomes a threat to his his son and he changes he turns into this kind of monster and it's uh i i just like movies like that i like i like movies where kids realize i like the loss of innocence where kids realize that adults don't know everything adults yeah. don't have it covered and uh and they can in fact be <laughs> putting you in danger or they can be neglecting to help you there's a lot of really inadequate adults in this movie yeah, <laughs> like almost, yeah almost all of them fail these kids which i think is fascinating so yeah but the tone of it is fun and it looks amazing and it's so different and it's like a first-time filmmaker so he's kind of throwing everything at the wall and i, and I love yeah. that and we sh- we definitely need to talk about that first-time filmmaker mm-hmm. um because it's also a last time filmmaker but that's uh, right Yes, but um, and that's and that's uh, significant. But I, I think that yeah, you're absolutely right. There is this kind of like childlike quality to the movie, where it does sort of feel like it's like a children's movie gone wrong to some degree. And it starts mm-hmm. off with that um, lullaby, um, yeah. which was written specifically for the movie. I think mm. um, um, actually it was something that I myself I tried to record a few years ago and still oh. might actually do it just because I find that opening song so sort of haunting and actually really kind of beautiful the way, the way that they sing it. I'm yeah. sure I could only mess it up with the way that I sing it, but nevertheless. A couple of different octaves, a couple of, you know. Yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. I'll try and get as high as I can, but yeah. um, it's uh, that. So it starts off with that. It's like, uh, okay, kids, I'm putting you to sleep. But the, the song, <laughs> the song is, uh, Oh, the hunter in the night fills your heart with endless fright or something like that. Yeah. Or, and it is, it's like, it's like, this is a precursor to a nightmare to some degree, mm-hmm. but it is like, it's a song that's being sung to children, um, seemingly. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think that you're right. Like, I also, I also really am a, a sucker from movies told from a, a child's perspective. Um, I think, th- I think maybe, and this is a movie that I would high hold an even higher esteem than The Night of the Hunter. Um, one of my all-time favorites, like top four favorite movies is the 400 blows which is definitely like that story of a of a child sort of confronting the realities of his of his world that's Mm -hmm. a much more realistic uh portrayal of it i think sure 
although it's also French New Wavy, but it is it is it is much more sort of realistic. But but uh, the, yeah, the Night of the Hunter does have that kind of there's an innocence to it in a way, but also sort of a deeply unsettling uh, aspect to it. Yeah, I love how unsettling it is. I love how I just love that. Like, I don't know how much plot I should get into, but it's like, yeah. Well, let's just, okay. Let's talk about. Let's maybe just say what what the movie's about. Sure. Um, so it's it is it's uh, Robert Mitchum plays. Um, hmm. Do I start with that? Well, actually, the movie sort of starts with um, this... disembodied disembodied heads in, the, in, the, <laughs> in, in space. Oh yeah, that's right. The disembodied heads. That's kind of also freaky when you think about it. While it's this lullaby is going on, there are these. Yeah. It's like a it's like a proto Queen video going on. Yeah, yeah totally. Heads. totally. And um, which is a great a great credit sequence actually. One of the few great credit sequences from that time that's not done by. Um, Saul Bass. Saul, Saul Bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the only one I know. <laughs> that's that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Uh, uh, okay, so after that, though, there is uh, um, there are these two kids who are playing. Their father comes. He's just uh, he's robbed a bank, right? I think in the, yeah, bank, yeah. the gas station, but in the in the movie, it's a bank. And uh, he tells the son where to, uh, he where he's hiding the money. Am I getting that right? Or does he yeah. hide the money? So yeah, yeah. And and then he gets um, taken by the police. While he's in jail, before he gets uh, hanged, yeah. he meets the Robert Mitchum character, um, who is a charlatan, but he's posing as a as a reverend, and um, and he's he's a he's basically a lonely hearts killer, right? He goes and finds yeah. these widows and he he kills them, six or twelve. We we later find out, and uh, so he finds out about this family after the father is is hanged for um because he also kills two people at the bank as well the father that's right right and yeah. um and so he goes and he um marries the um the wife uh, of the man who is played by shelly winters who's great i think yeah. uh, in the movie and uh, and uh, eventually the money actually makes its way into the 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 sister's doll um, but he just wants to find out where the money is. The kids won't tell him. Um, eventually he murders the wife, uh, and the kids realize what's going on and they escape. Um, and there's a, again, it's for me, one of the best sequences in film history, I would say, is this escape yeah. down the river. Mm -hmm. And then they make it to, um, um, Lillian Gish's home and she basically brings in all these wayward children. Yeah. Um, Robert Mitchum shows up there. Uh, she, I'm skipping over a lot. I just, I, I, I but I'm giving yeah. you the, the, the most basic bits of it. She shoots him with a shotgun. He screams like an animal goes into the, uh, into the barn. Um, and then the cops come, they arrest him and, uh, you know, in and and they they hang him too, basically. And yeah, basically. And, yeah. and there's that, a Christmas Christmas scene at the end. Yeah, Christmas scene at the end. Yeah. yeah, which I had forgotten about. So I was when I was telling you this was my Halloween episode, and you brought up Christmas. I was like Christmas, <laughs> but yeah, there is. It it does. It ends. It ends with Christmas, basically. So, mm -hmm. um, um, Christmas at the Lillian Gish uh, homestead, basically. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that's so that's the movie. Uh, one other thing that I do want to just point out, um, because Daniel mentioned it before, uh, um, um, 
iconically, uh, Mitchum has love written on the knuckles of one hand and hate written on the knuckles of others, which um, Spike Lee then uses in, in Do the Right Thing, quite famously. Um, so that goes back to, to this movie. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 I divert, diverted away from what you were going to say there. But now that we have that out. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, <laughs> no, yeah, the, 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 the flaws of the, 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 all the adults, I guess. And, and it starts right with the, and it's not just flaws. I think it's, um, it's circumstances, I guess. And, uh, this seems to be depression era. Yeah. And, um, so we've got parents who are, um, trying to do what they can to provide for their families and they have to resort to crime and mm -hmm. inevitably ending up you know, leaving, uh, you know, having to leave their families. Then you've got the mother who's trying to do what she can to, again, make the family work. And she marries this murderer. Mm -hmm. Then you've got a, um, <laughs> the drunk boatman who's like, come, I'll help you whenever you need anything. And as soon as they do come and they need help from him, he's wasted and, and terrified. He can't do anything. It's just, it just seems like, it's just so interesting that these, adults just keep failing these kids yeah and, and and it makes you wonder like will these kids you know like what, how do you get there like the hangman is also an interesting one because he's because he has um clearly regrets about his job yeah then there's a scene where he's like looking at his kids and he's like i have to do it to support my kids you know what i mean like people it's all about people having to do these things that they don't necessarily want to just yeah. to just to provide i guess yeah yeah Absolutely. And I actually, I, I have a theory about this, which I'll, mm -hmm. I might lay on you a little bit later, but it might, it might be too heavy to get into at, at okay. this particular moment. But, um, or uh, I'm just weighing my options here in terms of what to. Uh, this is your, it's your ace. It's your ace, right? Yeah, I, I might want to hold on to it. I'll, uh, but but back to the that the drunk guy who's, uh, who they go to when they're, when they're on the run from, um, uh, Mitchum, Uncle Birdie, yeah, Uncle <laughs> Birdie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think that his reaction is uh, a little bit uh, uh, outlandish to <laughs> to what's going on? Because because he, what happens is the reason why he's drunk is because he finds the mother's dead body under the yeah. water. And um, actually, I might might do this now because I was I I have uh, some images from the show. Now I know that some people are not um watching this they're just uh listening to this uh -huh. but um but again i i did want to provide some images because to me this is one of the greatest looking movies that i that that i know of um and uh famously there's a a, a picture of this this image here mm -hmm. i was watching a interview with Guillermo del Toro, who said that he's spent most of his career trying to capture this image. Ah, yeah. Which I think he does sort of almost in the shape of water. I feel like there's something like this in that movie. Sure, yeah. Um, so Uncle, does Uncle Bertie think that the cops are going to hold him responsible for that's her death? The, yeah, that's that's the, his logic, is that he found this, he finds her in a car underneath his fishing boat well, it's not even where he lives. He's just out fishing on the pond. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess he's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that, um, it might be too far-fetched to suggest that that speaks to the times where people just, uh, anybody can get blamed for anything. But, uh, or, or that everybody's so hard done by that, you know, you'll, 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 you know, 
they need to pin it on somebody. Uh, I don't know if people were thinking that way back then, but uh, it does seem a little bit unreasonable that instead of going to the police, he just gets drunk and, uh, and, uh, and you know, the movie would have well, been cut pretty short, I guess. Yeah. But you actually might make a, you, you might have a point there when you say that, because you have at the end of the movie, this, um, Mob, this, this mob that yeah. forms. Yeah. So I think actually I think that you're right there that you know maybe maybe Uncle Bertie's not too out of his mind to. to it seems that. a bit unreasonable though. I, I would agree. Like it seems kind of it seems kind of oh come on Uncle Bertie you could you <laughs> could really together. you could really put this guy away right now. Um, <laughs> it would be pretty obvious what happened. Like uh, and the reason of course that she's killed is because she finds out that the guy is just after the money, which is. Yeah. Uh, such a sad moment for her <laughs> yeah and leads to like the most amazingly um one of the more amazing moments in the in the uh visually of, of the yeah. scene that like harkens back to like german expressionism and, and stuff like that well yeah let me let's to, to go back to the image here um let me see i think i have something so yeah, yeah that, that one in the top left. I yeah. know I don't know if you can see it, if people can see it all that clearly, but um, the one in the top left, it does. It it's it's um. So let's maybe talk a little bit about the filmmaking for a second, because sure. yeah. um, so the movie is is directed by a guy named Charles Lofton, who uh, a, a, quite a famous British actor. I think he's British. Yeah. Maybe. He's British, right? Yeah. Um, but in many kind of American films and and English films, um, and in 1955 gets this opportunity to make this movie. And, um, you know, one of the things he famously says, and I'm here, I'm going to try and find the quote here quickly, um, is... Um, he says, when I first went to the movies, they sat in their seats straight and leaned forward. Now they slump down with their heads back and eat candy and popcorn. <laughs> I want them to sit up straight again. And I think that he, what he's referring to there is kind of the magic of, um, of did this go dark on us? Or did I? Just the picture. Just the picture did. Yeah. All right. So um, I think what he's referring to there is um, silent film. What he would see is the magic of silent film. Mm. Um, because I do know that they, the big influence, I think, on this movie was, um, was D.W. Griffith, from what, yeah. I, from what I understand. Right. And uh, that they would screen his movies. Um, uh, with that in mind, though, in that particular image that we just saw, um, I almost see that being a bit more cabinet of Dr. Caligari than yeah. uh, D.W. Griffith. No, definitely. And I don't know. Um, I almost feel like I, I've read some people say exactly what you just said about his, like, I know that he was screening the films. I wonder if it was more of an obsession with Lillian Gish. Um, yeah. Because she was in all the Griffith films. And, yeah. Um, so, and clearly appears, or she appears in this. So um, uh, a lot of the... Uh, elements don't necessarily remind you of Griffith, like the, uh, the close-ups of the animals and while they're on the river, like it's a lot more um, fantastic for sure. Yeah. In some of his films. Um, and actually all the water too, almost reminded me of um, sunrise. Yeah, sure. 
The Merlot um, foam, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't, I, to be perfectly honest, um, I've only seen one D.W. Griffith film, the most notorious one that exists. Yeah. And uh, personally, I did, I'm not a fan of the movie, but, um, you know, people, no. people who have a greater understanding of film history might might uh, tell me that its techniques are quite strong but uh, right that's right yeah but um some I'm of his to... smaller he has done some some other movies that definitely have like interesting uh, like lillian gish out on out in the, the the west or out in like uh cold 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 territories like i yeah. think that the, uh, the the nature aspects maybe of uh, people walking around among nature but um and I guess not using sound stages and stuff like that perhaps was interesting. Yeah. But, um, but certainly this movie is more ambitious in terms of its, uh, I don't know, in terms of some of the things it tried uh, that make it a bit more dreamy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I think it's interesting that he has that perspective because I was just on a, I was the, a few weeks ago, I was on um, another podcast called movie night extravaganza. And we were talking about sunset Boulevard, which is another yeah. one of my favorite movies. And, and in that movie, you famously have a character, the character Norma Desmond um, saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still big. It's the movies that got small. Mm -hmm. And I think that to a degree, I don't know if I would say it's fully doing this, but I think that to a degree, Billy Wilder, who makes that movie, would sort of agree with her in, in some in some way that really sort of the great moment in cinematic history was the silent era, which is interesting to me in retrospect, because when I think of the golden age of cinema, I'm not thinking of the silent era. I think of it's the silent era and then it's the golden age. Not that mm -hmm. there's not great silent films, but I, when I think of like, you know, big spotlights and the magic of movies. I think of things like Casablanca. I think of things like, you know, mm. um, um, treasure of the Sierra Madre and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and African queen. I don't know why I'm exclusively naming Humphrey Bogart movies, but um, well, it's Hollywood, right? Like that's kind yeah. of real Hollywood. That's what yeah. we think of when we think of Hollywood. Like you, you don't necessarily think of, uh, I don't know, like Charlie Chaplin, like going to the Oscars, you know what I mean? Right. Like it, it's like, I think that the, the Hollywood, uh, yeah. Hollywood is what is what seems like the great time of, of movies. And uh, that that's when there was still mystery around the actors where like to get a peek inside their lives was like a treat. Um, I think that's yeah, uh, yeah that, that's interesting. And it's interesting that in the 1950s, you're you're all you're already starting to see this like man, things were great back then. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, hmm. which is weird. But but in terms of the look, like it, it, Night of the Hunter does strike me as one of the few American films from maybe you know. It seems to me that like the 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 1960s the late 1950s and early 60s foreign film movement really kind of shakes things up in terms of american cinema in terms of how they deal with style right. but you have certain films before that that do demonstrate uh, a pretty good sense of of style in their films and i would mm -hmm. say that orson wells is probably one of one of the filmmakers who who shows that and I would say that this movie is an excellent example of that. And I think it's interesting that that both of those filmmakers struggled to make movies in, in this environment. 
the uh, the cinematographer i don't know if you saw this but the the cinematographer did uh, this did magnificent ambersons which of course yeah. was an even bigger flop i guess than this one was yeah um, uh cuz this was a flop uh despite yeah despite critics liking it. And I imagine that the style of it was part of that. Um, people either probably thought it looked, I don't know. I guess the things that he was trying to do that were a, um, a callback or an homage or tribute to, you know, the, the, uh, the era of cinema, the, the earlier era of cinema, I guess some people either didn't think it worked or didn't care or were more interested in, you know, just watching um, Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Um, they, like, they didn't want to sit up in their seats. No, they they they're they're comfortable with their popcorn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, but I think that's what makes it work, and that's why we're still talking about it is because it is so different from everything at the time that it came out. Yeah. And um, it is such a weird mix, and uh, again, you can't you can't pin it down. Like everything else is so straightforward. Well, not everything, but this is something that definitely stands out because it's so different and off the wall. Yeah. Now, unlike, uh, so Wells obviously gets to make more movies um, after Citizen Kane, but struggles to make more movies. And all of them, yeah, all of them are. Every single one is a struggle. And then yeah. and then has movies that he tr starts making and never finishes. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, or, or they come under extraordinary um external control like mm -hmm. how the magnificent ambersons is recut and mm -hmm. i think the stranger which is actually one of my favorites but oh. not not highly regarded amongst wells fans because i think it's they see it as his like his like selling out film i think to some degree yeah but <laughs> but i like it um no it's entertaining certainly yeah, yeah, but I mean, I still see a lot of style in in a movie like The Stranger, and yes. um, and uh, but 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 that movie is like I I think they were just that was him trying to tell the studios I I could I could make a studio film I could I can play ball. I can play ball yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do anything you want yeah 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 just uh, just give me a drink but <laughs> I but I think that uh, uh, so he struggles um, and then but Charles Lofton never gets to make a movie again now he, he I think he dies seven years after this movie or something yeah like not that long after uh, but it is crazy to think about you know you make a citizen Kane or you make a night of the hunter and and you can't it's it's difficult to make another movie after that or impossible in the case of Charles Lofton and I think critics did like it my understanding is that critics responded well to it but um, I'm not sure if uh, usually well, I'm not a filmmaker, but I assume that if you have the critics, you you would hope that oh well at least somebody liked it. But I guess the studios. I don't. I'm, I'm curious if it was him his own uh, if it was him feeling defeated. Do you have hmm. any idea if he wanted to make other movies? I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know either. I guess I just assume that he would because there's just so much craft put into this movie that it just strikes me that he was. This movie looks like a movie made by someone who was born to be a filmmaker, really. And mm -hmm. and the fact that it took him years to make it and uh, not that it was in the works for years, but it just mm -hmm. took years in terms of his career to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And um, and the fact that he never made one again, it just it's it's shocking. If it was any, you know, most other kinds of movies, you could say, OK, well, he made a good movie and that was that. But this movie just seems like such a m movie lover's film yeah that it's just surprising that he that, that was the only one he ever did i guess yeah the studios just didn't see dollar signs in the future 
for him. Yeah. Yeah. And and same with same with Wells too to 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 a large degree. Yeah, because Citizen Kane was Citizen Kane even a success? I don't believe I don't know that it made money a lot of money, but yeah. Um, anyway, I I, sh I shouldn't have brought it up because I'm not sure of the answer. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure but, either, but I think um, I think I think maybe the problem too with Citizen Kane is that, and just Wells in general, is that he, he was not afraid to like ruffle any feathers yeah. and yeah, you know, he you're going yeah. William Randolph Hearst and people like that. Like yeah, yeah. you know, there's he, he was probably a loose cannon. He was a loose cannon. I mean, I think yeah, yeah. That's pretty fair to say. Um, so, you know, I think just in general, they wanted to keep a, a tight rein on him. But I, I do see, although Citizen Kane and, and Night of the Hunter are two very different movies, stylistically speaking, they're both extremely stylistic, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sort of similar fates occurred to both of those. Yeah, and the style is so interesting because, like, a lot and so playful almost, which is weird. Like, I... I the the source material which i haven't read but i i know is based on a true story of sort of of like a, of a lonely hearts killer he yeah. might have even been called the lonely hearts killer i'm not sure but hmm. um and the name is very close it's like harry powers i think hmm. but um but i think lawton was uh, concerned it would be too dark so he adds all these little flourishes like you've got these cute little you know like um what do you call it when the, the, the screen goes like down? on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, iris shot. Yeah, the I iris only, shot. Of I the only learned in... that from this, from just reading about it for this movie. Right. Like the yeah. kids in the basement to show where they're hiding. Yeah. Or you've got like the keyhole around when he's uh, watching the um, the dancer, I guess, when he's got the, the switchblade in his pocket and he flicks yeah. the blade, which is very uh, an interesting moment. Yeah. Um, and we'll come I, back to that too because i think what, that's what, a, that we'll come back to that too yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's no, but i think the style is so interesting like and he's even got like a swipe you know what i mean which uh which kind of uh occurs Where's the swipe? it's um it's when uh it's in the scene we were just looking at the murder scene i guess so right when he's he's coming down with the knife and you yes. see the close-up of her face and then swipe yes yeah right so it's oh, kind wow. of uh yeah it's kind of interesting um, yeah and not that those are necessarily playful moments, but he's obviously having a bit of fun and trying mm -hmm. different, different stylistic, making different stylistic choices. I, yeah. I, I, see, I see that you have the, you have this, right? This, this DVD. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I just looked at the second disc, the supplementary disc for the first time last night. Have you seen it? Did you watch that? No, I, I, I intended to watch in advance of this, but um, the, the documentary. Yeah, but it's, mm -hmm. I, I, a lot of it is documentary, but um, I it's two two and a half hours long, and I didn't watch the whole thing, so I watched little right. bits of it. But there is an incredible amount of footage from just the filming of that movie. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, so that it's worth it just for that. I didn't I didn't make it through the whole thing, but it's you know Charles Lawton sort of off screen. By the way, I watched that Guillermo del Toro interview where um, he he keeps referring to Charles Lawton as Charles Lafton. And ever since that, that's how I've been saying his name. That's funny. And I know it's wrong, but I can't get, get my, get myself out of saying it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but, you, but Charles Lawton is, is, um, is always the person, obviously that's sort of off screen doing the lines for, for right. the person that, that's talking to them. Hmm. There's also this weird moment in the outtakes where, um, when the the young boy sees his father being arrested and he kind of grabs his stomach 
Yeah, yeah. Every that shot. The reason why is because before Lawton starts to do the scene, he flicks the kid in the stomach. Oh no! And the kid does that. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought that scene was so interesting, and then it gets, and then of course it happens. It gets re uh, reused at the end. Yeah. Like as a framing device, I guess. Um, yeah. The hit in the stomach thing is. Uh, it's an interesting moment. I'm not sure it quite works, but but I, I, I but I but I like it. That's funny. It's too bad that he uh, smacked that kid. Yes, <laughs> but um, but it is uh, that moment too at the end is another one of those really unsettling moments because just to explain it, like when when uh, at the very beginning of the movie when he, he, the boy sees his father being um, arrested by the police. It's actually to me a very real moment because I, I think anybody, if you can kind of imagine what it would be like if you saw yeah. your father being sort of pinned to the ground by these policemen and taken away, mm -hmm. his reaction to me strikes me as extremely real mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and true to life. But the interesting thing is that at the end of the movie, the same scene, the same moment plays out when they, when they catch Harry uh, Powell and they and they tackle the cops, tackle him to the ground, and arrest him in, in very much the same way. And the boy reacts the same way. He says the same thing, which is, what does he say, "Don't"? Or, yeah, don't, don't. Yeah. 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 And uh, again, that kind of feeds into that 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 ace card that I have is is uh, has a has a tries to have a kind of an explanation for that as well. But hmm. um, but. It's almost maybe better not explained because it's just such an it's just such an odd thing that he has this emotional reaction to this guy who he doesn't even really know as a father figure, just really knows as this guy who's been chasing them for the most part. And they had a few months, I guess, while where he was in their house treating them very badly. Yes. Um, but uh, but that's it. And he has that, that same reaction at the end of the movie. Yeah, no, it is fascinating. And I'm not sure if it's because. Uh because he's like flashing back to the moment or if he's um, actually grown some kind of attachment. Cause maybe, maybe his previous father wasn't that great either. You know what I mean? We mm -hmm. don't really see much about him except we know that he murdered some people. Right. So, um, <laughs> Which doesn't no sound reason, good. <laughs> there's no reason to believe that he was this great dad either. <laughs> so maybe he has grown attached. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. uh, I don't know, but um, no, it's kind of an interesting way to, to end it. Yeah. I've been also trying to think of other movies where the the look of the film fits the the overall um, content so so perfectly, mm -hmm. um, and I can only think of a few where movies that have a, a lot of sort of style to them, it it really it it's kind of an imperfect combination with the content like. I would say Days of Heaven is is another another movie that's like mm -hmm. that, um, and I would say what was the what were the other ones that I was thinking of? Um, Eight and a Half maybe is probably another one that's okay. that I would yeah. that I would characterize that way, and the and this might be a bit of a stretch, but I might say a movie like Goodfellas also um, yeah. has that same sort of pairing of style and and content. Can you think of uh, of others that? Uh, are so sort of stylistically different, but it it fits the material so well. 
I don't know. I, I guess it, it's kind of easy for me to think of, uh, like when I think of movies that have a unique style, I, I don't know why I thought of this, but I, I would think of like the movies of maybe Tim Burton or something like that, where yeah. his movies are so uniquely his. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that would be an example of that. Not that I'm the biggest Tim Burton fan or anything. I like Pee Wee. I like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and I like right. uh, Ed Wood, but, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's interesting that you say that because uh, because in the in the notes here for this book, they, uh, you say, yeah. uh, they say that it's something of Charles Lawton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is which is is partly uh, brings us back to our first conversation about this over text, which was, Halloween Christmas Halloween episode or Christmas episode kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, have you ever shown this movie at uh, at your theaters? Yeah, I believe we have once, and I don't believe it did very well, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a shame. Um, but uh, since we've been talking about it, I uh, I was thinking we should play it again. Um, I think it's it doesn't it definitely doesn't play a lot. I think it would probably it probably gets played at Cinematex around uh, the country or North yeah. America pretty regularly. But I think it's kind of a good a good one for. For the holidays to be honest like yeah. everybody's always looking for an alternative to uh regular horror stuff or to regular holiday type movies and i think this would be a good one to throw in there kind of like a diehard or something like that you know yeah i'd have to imagine this movie looks amazing on on the big screen yeah i i don't like it's one that i feel like i would definitely have to see and and it might like i remember <clears throat> i've told you this before i think that Obviously, I'm a well, I don't know if it's obvious to necessarily everybody, but we've talked about it before that mm -hmm. I'm a big Ingmar Bergman fan. Yeah. And um, and I've always liked the movie Persona, but it was never I would have never necessarily put it in my top 25 or anything like that or top 30 favorite movies. Right. Not of Bergman. I mean, you oh, could sorry, I thought you were getting at. I thought you were getting <laughs> well, I was like, wow, not even top 25 Bergman. Wow. <laughs> no, it would have been in my top 10 Bergman, I would say at, at some point, but, yeah. but, um, but when you showed it at the uh, Apollo for the, um, when you were doing the Bergman 100 year yeah. retrospective, you showed Persona there and uh, it just, it changed the way I saw that movie. Yeah. And it's amazing that. how just seeing a movie on the screen can change your whole perspective of it it's yeah you can't escape right there's no um that movie's a bit more experimental maybe and uh, maybe some of those things don't translate as well on the small screen yeah um yeah no yeah it's a fantastic film yeah i, I would say most movies you know obviously i think that most movies need to be seen on the big screen especially especially if that's how they were originally released i would say that's although right. you could argue that seeing like some movie made by um you know, some B movie that played on the, the second half of a double bill that was made for very little, like some cheapo noir film. Maybe that doesn't need to be seen on the big screen as much as the, mm. uh, the A film on that double bill. But um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I would also imagine too, that those, maybe those audiences or maybe those, sorry, maybe those movies would be, would be better seen with a with a larger audience. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you've got it's kind of like uh, watching a movie like uh, from the uh oh my gosh, what do you call it? The uh you know, in Shakespeare in the 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 far seats. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. It it yeah. brings something else to it. Mm -hmm. Like I think uh 
I'm, I'm partly I'm talking about this because I know of your relationship to actual movie theaters and, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, you might remember this, too. I don't know if you have this, that sometimes I'll watch a movie now that I saw in a movie theater when I was eight. Mm-hmm. Okay, So that's we're going back some 32, three years at this point. Yeah, sure. And and I can when it gets to a point in the movie, I can still remember where like the audience laughed. Mm-hmm. And I can still sort of almost hear that laugh. And that's yeah. I feel like that's a kind of that that must suggest that there's sort of something significant about seeing these things with other people. Yeah. the And the influence of those other people as well, because I'll watch movies and I'll remember people laughed at a joke and I'll still laugh at it yeah, without even realizing if it's funny or not. You know right. what I mean? And then you think about it after you're just like, wait, is that, is that even a joke? That's just, yeah. like, that's just an accent or something. Like it's not, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's yeah. It's interesting what uh, you respond to and how the nostalgia, I guess, plays into it. Which is actually what's weird is is to go see a movie at a theater that you've seen before in the theater and you're almost expecting it to hit the same points that it yeah. hit the last time and it doesn't. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's always an unusual experience too. Yeah, like if you went to see The Irishman twice or something like yeah. that in, in that two week run, you're like people oh. did not laugh as much the second time. Not at the end. Not in the whole. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The first time, I was sure it was like a slapstick comedy, but the second time, yeah, with that that crummy makeup or CGI. (laughs) Anyway, we don't need to get into that. That's that's such an easy, easy, uh, easy low hanging fruit. That yeah, totally yeah. Uh, Speaking of low hanging fruit, actually, that brings me to (laughs) to the uh, to the big quote that that I think kind of runs through this movie. Because it's right at the beginning. Um, and actually, I might just put it out there for now and just sort of leave it out there. But the movie sort of starts with this line of, you ye shall know them by their fruits. It's a, it's a passage taken from the Bible. You shall know them by their fruits. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's at the very beginning. And... That quote, I think, is is about, um, well, I cut off the beginning of it because I think it's about, like, how do you tell a wolf in sheep's clothing or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, because the Robert Mitchum character is uh, is this is this fake. And uh, but then later in the in the movie, you get this line where Lillian Gish, who is the person who's taken in all the all the kids, um says uh if i gotta find this quote again says i'm a strong tree with branches for many birds yeah and so you have another kind of reference to to trees and and then um you know she doesn't mention the fruit but there is these this like relationship between her and the young boy where she's constantly she she asks him for an apple and then he gives her an apple as the Christmas gift at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think we're kind of sort of meant to see this kind of relationship as she's like the good tree. She's like yep. the one good tree in, yep. in this movie. Yes. Uh, and I think that goes back to the point you're, you're making about how there's no good positive adult characters in it. Yeah. Yeah. With the exception of Lillian Gish, I would say. And she's yeah. like the good, she's the good tree. To, to some to some extent yeah they're kind of they're kind of like uh you know they're two sides of the same coin right like she's the love and he's the hate that are on his hands right like it's and they're both very religious like you could almost there's a lot in this movie that could be considered anti-religion even you know like you've got mm-hmm. 
like at the beginning when you're introduced to the the murderous reverend fake reverend i assume he's uh he's talking about oh you don't mind that killing do you lord you love you got a lot of killing in your book those people with their lacy frilly things you know like saying stuff like that and like he's obviously um you know the the temptation is what drives him to kill it seems yeah yeah the fight yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she and she's obviously very religious as well but she's um and she's almost using the like they're singing the same song in the I feel scene it, yeah at the end. That's uh, right. both, and it's just one of them's using it for good and one for evil and yeah. uh i think that um yeah there's uh I think you're right. Like she is the, uh, she's, she's the strong tree. He's the weak one. And I think it's interesting. I just thought of this before we started that the, uh, and maybe this is just reading too much into it, but the mother's name is Willa, which, you know, sounds like the weeping willow, kind, yeah. of, a, kind of a floppy weak tree, you know? Yeah. 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 It, it, I don't know, which, kind of, which does speak to her character to some degree. It's too bad. She is kind of, she, what an amazing, sad, like sad character though. Like, yeah. Like, um, an impression well, I don't think, <laughs> like I don't think I wouldn't critique the movie for its representation of her because I think that I do think she's a really well written character. She's yeah. she's she's certainly weak, but she's understandably weak. I mean, it is the depression. She's just yeah. lost her husband. Um, Mitchum is a is a you know silver tongued devil to uh, to some degree, and. Um, and so, you know, you completely understand why. And she doesn't want to get married to, to him, actually. She's she's forced into it largely by the townsfolk. Kind of, yeah. There's they're very suggestive. It's so it's so it's so heartbreaking. Like like it all happens very quickly. Like yeah. she, you know, the uh, the moment like he makes her stare in the mirror when she wants to uh, get in the same bed with him on their wedding night and and you know do wedding night things. Um, and he's like. I know what you're Look talking at about. Herself. You're disgusting. Apparently in the book, she's like naked and looking at herself and she has to name, confess all her sins while she's staring at herself in the mirror. Right. Um, which just sounds, you know, he just shames her, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's awful. And when she finally realizes that he's only in it for the money, when she overhears it, just the smile and like the shaking her head is so sad. Yeah. Um, and that look on her face when she's standing outside of the house and she can yeah. hear the way he's talking to her daughter mm -hmm. is, uh, I, again, an, another sort of unsettling moment because she doesn't look angry. Yeah. But but again, the look is very is very real, and because yeah. um, I don't think she knows how to act in that moment. No, she's surprised, and she she I think she's trapped. You know, yeah. I think she, yeah, and I think she knows she's trapped, and uh, and then what happens happens. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But so I want to so one term that I see that is associated with this movie that I had to kind of look up. Um, I, I feel maybe I should have known what this was, but, um, but I didn't. So uh, I, I hear a lot of people refer to this movie as a, as a version of a Southern Gothic. Right. Um, so I looked up what it was and this is, I'm just going to read this out. This is not my wording. This is somebody else's, but mm -hmm. um, so it says that the Southern Gothic brings to light and, and, and as you're hearing this, let me know if you think that this applies to the movie. The Southern Gothic brings to light the extent to which the idyllic vision of the pastoral agrarian South rests on massive repressions of the region's historical realities, slavery, racism, and patriarchy. Southern Gothic texts also mark a Freudian return of the repressed, 
the region's historical realities take concrete forms in the shape of ghosts that highlight all that has been unsaid in the official version of Southern history. And sorry for the long quote, but I just want to read out one other part. What critics do seem to agree on is the way in which American Gothic texts in general have challenged the American dream narrative by consistently pointing out limitations and aberrations in the progressive belief in possibility and mobility. Um, one, one question I have is, do you think, do you think it's pointing out the region's historical realities of slavery and racism? I myself am skeptical because I don't think there's a single person of color in this movie. No, I no. I, I would say it's it's certainly focused on the uh, the hard times that um, you know that these people went through. But no, I, I don't see there. There's nothing to indicate that there's uh, any reflection of that at all. I, I wouldn't think it's. I think it's 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 pretty um, it's pretty shallow. I would say <laughs> shallow water in terms of how deep it might be digging into. Yeah. Even, even the troubles of the people, like it's kind of like oh, these people are hard done by. They have to do things to make ends meet. Um, but you don't really get any indication of why they're there. Um, like, I guess it's, you just get a general, oh, this might be, the, this is the depression. Everybody's got it tough. That's kind yeah. of what I would say. Yeah. Now, now, that might be kind of one one sort of potential flaw of the movie, because it is odd. It is odd to me that there's only white people in this movie. Um, particularly since it is, you know, you could, you know, watch most movies from that time. There will be, there will be plenty, you know, they're not, they're not good representations generally yeah. speaking, but, um, so maybe it's better. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. No, it's, it's, it's surprising for sure yeah. that, that there's, there's, but well, no, sorry. It's not surprising. Right. <laughs> like it's, it's not surprising, but, um, it, it, it certainly, there would have been some interesting, um, could have done something interesting there certainly yeah but uh but i don't think in terms of that definition i don't think that there's a lot of the uh these characters are being haunted by uh the, the sins of the father that kind of thing I, I don't see a lot of that certainly i don't think in terms of race but but what no. do you think about the patriarchy part of it because i i do think that yes. you know one of the things for one we talked a little bit about mitchum's character as being sort of cartoonish and part of him strikes me as a little bit like he does almost seem out of time. Like he seems potentially like a kind of, this isn't a Southern example, but kind of almost like a Salem witch trial sort of um, mm -hmm. like Puritan sort of preacher to some degree. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. And clearly that kind of misogyny or hatred of women is at work with that character. For sure. Which is interesting um, also because, sorry, I, I don't want to, take derail what you're, what no, you're no, no, no. but that's such an important thing for, for horror movies as well. Like the, the knife, you know what I mean? Like the slasher, like yeah. what does the switchblade represent? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's so much of horror films are about, you know, the, um, you know, uh, not being able to, um, Oh boy, what am I getting at? Like the, the knife and the slasher is like Halloween and the 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 uh, taking away of female agency and stuff like that. And yeah. um, I think that's and that is that is clearly him. Like he is he can't uh, come to terms with the temptation, his desires, the desire, 
the earthly desires of men. You yeah. Know? And that's, um, that's and he blames, he, he blames those desires on women, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I and mean, the lack of control of them. Yeah. 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 And when you, and I think, you know, your question of what does the switchblade represent? I mean, yeah. that's where we, I think we get to that scene in the, in the dance club. Yeah. Where it's made pretty explicit. I think. Yes. <laughs> what it yeah. means just to, just to illustrate the point. Actually, I do think from what I understand. So, oh, well, I'll just explain how it is in the movie that he's watching this lady, um, you know, dance on stage and, uh, and then his he flicks his switchblade, which which comes th through his jacket. Um, originally, I think it was actually supposed to come th out through his pants pocket. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was uh, a little too explicit for the sense. Not, not the too time. subtle. Yeah. Um, but the point and the point is made right. And yes, uh, and so there is that. And then you get you know the the line about basically his, his, his he has. Um, convinced his wife to believe she's unclean and and how he yeah. can purify her mm -hmm. and uh, and he's a lonely hearts killer so his his victims are always women yeah. and um but you know again i think it's it's amazing or, or or noteworthy that the person who nabs him at the end is a is uh lillian gish um and um largely in in a house that's mostly populated with with young girls from what I can see. Is he the only, is that boy who escapes? Is he the only boy there? I can't remember. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I guess she's missing her son or her nephew or something or grandson. But uh, so there was a boy there prior, but yeah, I think at the time, yeah. It's in, and, and who is fooled by this guy is, is maybe interesting as well, because it is largely adults that are fooled by him. Um, it, with the exception of the Lillian Gish character. But uh, I guess she's an old. No, well, she's probably the same age as the the shopkeeper, who mm. um, who is all 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 about how the the handsome reverend has come to town at the time. Icy spoon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've been married forty years. All I care about is my canning. Like that. That's like one of the best moments. That that's a good funny moment. And her that husband, is a good funny moment. Her husband just kind of like mm. <laughs> <laughs> is 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 emasculated. Yeah. She's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's definitely right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um yeah, she's 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 probably the same age. So so were you were you, were you suggesting I was, that maybe rich? I was just saying that it's interesting that the kids all kind of know he's not a great guy. Um and the only exception to that though is is Ruby. But I guess she's she's on the she cusp. Knows. She's 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 at the point where she maybe is interested in the uh, the attention of uh, that he's giving her. Yeah. Whereas, so I think it's kind of one of those moments where the the youth are are maybe a bit wiser mm -hmm. and uh, and maybe just so, social niceties uh, get in the way of what may or may not be a dangerous situation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Absolutely. So now, uh, so the the only so the only thing really about that Southern Gothic quote that I guess that made sort of some sense to me was this idea of of the patriarchal element of it, yeah. but also just about how these kind of historical aberrations or this the this historical violence, let's say, tends to repeat itself through time, and and keep, we keep mm -hmm. getting some reminders of it. And I wonder if that can sort of tie back to this idea of 
of the the children and the tree metaphor and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because um because we do get so many references to the the treatment of children in during this great depression time there's the scene where the, the kids come to the woman's door yeah. to get to get food and then she sends them away mm-hmm. um and and also um there's the quote from Lillian Gish when she's talking about you know biblical times and she says things like um uh it did seem like it was the plague time for little ones those them olden days those hard hard times but i think that to some degree we're supposed to see that as the same as these times they seem exactly yeah the same. It's, a, it's a hard world for little things like yeah, it's uh, exactly. that's, that's a big line and uh which was later used uh, in raising arizona as well which is kind of an interesting uh tribute there but um the uh the patriarchal stuff, I think, yeah, it makes perfect sense because the men in this film are obviously, um, for the most part, in in control and 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 not necessarily doing a very good job. Like it's uh, you, all, all the male characters in this are deeply flawed, mm-hmm. um, and and you get the impression that. With with parents like these, where's how are things going to change? And right. I guess, and you and that's why the Lillian Gish character is so interesting because she is this strong oak who's actually, you know, gonna like her her views may be not mine, but she's gonna raise these these kids up to be respectable mm-hmm. and uh, and um, you know not like she's kind of the only chance that these kids have to not turn up turn out like all the men in this film. Mm-hmm. Because you've got just a bunch of murderers. Even the good one is is as I said, like a hangman. Yeah. So the, the the most admirable guy in this movie is the hangman, probably, or the shopkeeper's husband, who is kind of almost just comic relief, I would say. But yeah, yeah. A, mm-hmm. a bad tree produces evil fruit, and it's yeah. like it's just going to keep going and going and going, right? Yeah. Until some good tree comes along. Basically, yeah. it reminds me actually of here's another sort of maybe low art reference, but um, I was watching an interview with Noel Gallagher once. Uh He was talking about how, you know, his father was abusive and the interviewer, it's kind of a weird question to ask, but, but the interviewer said something like, well, you know how a lot of children are abused, go off to go on to be abusers themselves, but you seem to be such a good father. Um, You know, can can you, it's a weird question, but uh but he was like, well, you know, he's like, my father probably abused me because his father abused him. And he says, but, but he says, it's, it's, somebody's got to draw the line somewhere, he said. And, and yeah. it's, I've decided it's going to be with me. And, um, which is a, it's a great kind of way of thinking about it, I think. And, and I think that that, that is, I think, kind of at work in that sort of that metaphor of the tree, right? And also with this idea that historical violence repeats and repeats and repeats. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh maggie's here in the chat oh hi maggie yeah how you doing thanks for watching um that historical uh violence does have this sort of tendency of repeating until somebody comes along and stops it and that i think is the lillian gish character right she's yes. she's there to stop it that's and right that's yeah. the boy character so fascinating as well right because he could be next in line like he he if not for her what would he have turned out to be yeah, and I guess could he still like? I guess we're supposed to think no, um, but he, but the uh, this this yeah. Let's just let's just assume it's going to be a happy ending for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also one of the reasons why it's interesting that this movie is 
is set in the Great Depression because the, I mean, we'll, we'll say it's the 1930s. You know, this movie is 1955. The book comes out in 1953. Mm -hmm. So if this kid was real, he would have been, you know, in his in his early 30s or something at at the time that this movie is coming out. Sure. Yeah. So he's yeah. now an adult male. And I think it does kind of make us ask what is going on with this? What would be going on with this guy right now? Yeah, I have to I have to assume that he's uh, he's been saved, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. Although if she keeps singing him that song, that that lullaby every night, I don't know. Yeah, and she's not really teaching him many good lessons by saying an apple is an acceptable Christmas present. <laughs> like it is the depression, after all. Like you're you not know, getting many points next year, let me tell you. <laughs> she's also not particularly good at hiding what he's going to get. Because uh, remember the guy at the courtroom says, what's he going to get for Christmas? Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. i think it's pretty obvious at that point what do you yeah think? yeah <laughs> that courtroom scene is interesting i always forgot that there was an angry mob at the end of that film and i think that's kind of funny everybody's and i guess that also ties into what you were saying what we're talking about in terms of the way things are run the the the, the patriarchal influence like even even a an angry mob will bust out just because violence has become the way of things everybody's quick to violence yeah and uh I think that's kind of a fascinating, I don't know. That is kind of interesting. Are these people better than our murderer? I don't know. You yeah. kind of really see him running sheepishly away from them, you know, and, and that's kind of interesting. Well, it's reminiscent of another violent, uh, sorry, not another violent, well, another similar kind of movie. Um, also just, just after the silent film, but it reminds the silent film era. Um, M kind of does remind right. me a little bit of M. Right. Yeah. With that, with that great court scene, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, we've got uh, Maggie here saying, Lillian Gish is such a powerhouse in the film. The first person that made me feel safe. Mm. I take that personally. I don't know, I don't know about you, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I'm a strong, I'm a strong oak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's true. She is. She is. Uh, she is a safe haven, definitely. In that. No, such a great that great scene where she's like rocking in her rocking chair with the rifle, just like yeah. she's a she's a Terminator herself, right? She she doesn't That's need right. sleep either. It really is a there. It is. Yeah, I can't really. I don't know if I can get a good shot of it, but it is the cover of this, which or of the booklet anyway. That yeah, it, it is kind of an, again maybe the most iconic shot of the film of her rocking mm -hmm. rocking chair. Mm -hmm. Maggie says, in the film, in the film, my God. There we go. So, all right, fine. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, okay, what, anything else? Do you, what about, what about the other song in the movie? What about the little girl who sings that? We haven't really talked about her. I thought she was, just, in my head, I thought, is she related to Robert Mitchum? Because she looks like Robert Mitchum. Yeah, they have a similar face, eh? Like, there's... I love when he calls her, you poor, silly, disgusting little wretch. That's one of my favorite parts. Um, it's, it's so intense. And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what is the song she sings in the boat? Uh, I, f I, f I forget. All, all I, I can't remember either. All I know is it, it, it's, um, it's uh, appropriate. Like, the content is appropriate for whatever it is they're going through. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. I think it's yeah. pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, no, she's, she's yeah, well. No, she's a funny character. Mitchum is just so good too. Like, um, 
he really goes after those kids. It's great. You really believe that he's going to hurt those children. It's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I I think that this is this might be one of the great actor and one of the great performances in 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 film. Yeah, I would, I would rank it up there pretty high. And it's so different for him. Um, everybody in this is great. Like I, I I wouldn't consider myself a Shelley Winters fan. I didn't. I, I've seen her in many movies. Most of them probably um, more B films, like movies where like there's a giant octopus or something. Um, but uh, I think that she's she's uh, terrific in this. Like and I, I never really realized how great she can be. But uh, Mitchum is also great and also very different than I think um, he maybe was known for at the time, where he would play just tough guys. Uh, and he's still kind of a tough guy here, but. Again, we've kind of gone over it. Like he's kind of a caricature a little bit at times as well, which is yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think just for the line alone, and this and he does this line so cartoonishly, where he's outside of the house and he goes, "Children, children." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's that alone makes it such a great performance. But are you being um, impudent? Are you being impudent, children? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he often does it looks like he's really enjoying the performance because he has a kind of smirk on his face a lot yeah and also i don't know if it's the very first time we see him in the movie it might be where he's in um there in the jail oh no it's not the first time we see him in the movie because the first time we see him he's driving along yeah, in the car, car, yeah but when we see him in jail and he pops from the from the bunk yeah and his hair is down yeah <laughs> It's like a slapstick. It's like a, it is like a silent moment. It's almost like Stan Laurel or something. Yeah. 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 That's a great moment. Um, uh, is he, is he the, the killer in Cape Fear? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I haven't I seen the original Cape Fear. Yeah. And he shows up in the remake as well. Yes. Or, 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 or I think he does. I know Gregory yeah, Peck he, does. Yeah. He did. Oh, now you've got me. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. Um, I love Maggie like tell, telling his lies too, and he's like, "Ah, oh, she run off with a drummer." <laughs> it's like, what? what? <laughs> oh yeah, she run off with a drummer. Well, you know what? When when it, when it's a story that's that ridiculous, it seems yeah. like it's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says that in the in the little cafe there, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Mitchum is in the remake. He plays Lieutenant Elgart. Hmm, okay. Also in Scrooged. I think that was the first time I ever saw Robert Mitchum. That's right. He's the station manager who wants them to play programming for cats. That's right. Dogs. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what a career. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, I can't remember why. Oh, yeah. But that makes me think, because I don't know what his performance was like in Cape Fear. But, and here I'm going to spoil another movie for everybody out there. In the Scorsese version of Cape Fear, when the De Niro character who is playing the murderer in that uh, dies at the end, gives off this really crazy scream mm. as well. I don't know if you remember it, but. Uh, I, I, it's been a few years. I, I've seen it in the last 10, but yeah. Right. It's it's again it's it's a very sort of similar moment. I wonder if I know Scorsese puts Night of the Hunter on his favorite movie list, yeah. so I wonder if it's a bit of a nod well, to that, or if it was just in Cape Fear. I'm not. Well, sure. he's so over the top too. That whole movie, like he's yeah, like, that that's a really funny performance, and, yeah. and still and still manages to be threatening. Um, 
but him like laughing in the theater with his giant cigar and like there's there's a lot of great stuff in that movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, I wouldn't. I would now we're off on another movie. I wouldn't put Cape Fear up there. It's not one of my favorite Scorsese movies. I don't think. Would, would you say it's one of yours? Uh, no. But I've I've gotten less interested in Scorsese as I've gotten older. I guess. But uh, so I I. Uh, I'm kind of I stick to Mean Streets and Taxi Driver. So right. if if I was gonna rewatch one though, I would I would probably be more likely to watch Cape Fear than I would be to watch Raging Bull. To be honest, right now. Interesting. Not because I like it better, just because it's more fun. That's all. Yeah, yeah. That's that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I remember you saying that a few years ago. It was out. It was right out here. You you said that you were you were kind of getting over Scorsese a little bit. Yeah, like I I, I, I I'm I I think. Um, I don't know. Maybe too a little too flashy for me these days, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Enough. That's fair enough. So um, I don't know. Maybe we should wrap things up soon. But uh, well, well, yeah. But yes. I'd love to hear any other thoughts that you have about the movie before we do. But um, I don't know. I'm curious. Do you think there is any anti-religious stuff in here? Do you think there's anything to to? Uh, I I I I think I guess it's in the book as well. But like knowing knowing that I believe Lawton like had like a, a childhood um, where he was um, uh, like a, involved in the church. I feel like he uh, obviously, maybe not obviously. Like I think he had. Um, I believe he's bisexual as well, or there, there were, that was at least um, suggested. Although, mm -hmm. um, so I, I wonder if part of this is like a skewering of the church at times, or maybe. Maybe it's just a little bit of subtle, like ribbing, but uh, <laughs> but certainly there are some there there are some moments that critique the Bible and cr critique these God fearing folk who are, you know, not uh, really doing their part to make sure that these kids are safe. So yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, that that's something that I, I thought was kind of interesting, but I don't know if it's just kind of circumstantial as well. No, I, I I don't think so. I think it's actually a, a significant aspect of the movie. First, I don't think you can have a character, yeah, who who is irreverent like that and and it, it not be significant. And I think that your observation about the two characters at the end, one evil, one good, yeah. Lily Dish, and Robert Mitchum singing the exact same song. Yeah, I mean that's such a that's such a significant moment there's something significant going on there yeah i think that the i i would say that the movie is probably coming down on sort of old testament sort yeah. of christianity uh or the old testament version of because when you know robert mitchum says you know has that conversation with god um he's not entirely wrong if he's talking to the old testament god <laughs> Right, I guess he, yeah, and he, I guess he's a, so. I guess it comes down. To, it's anti-fanatic, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, there's an yeah. anti-fanaticism. I think maybe an anti-sort of puritanism, maybe yeah. kind of a thing. Right. Um, but I think it's countering that with the kind of expression of uh, religion that uh, Lillian Gish um, is expressing. Um, right which is a much more kind of loving and, and caring. She still threatens them with the switch. She threatens them with the switch. Yes. But she does give Ruby a brooch, which is a shiny thing. Right. So I think that's kind of interesting. There is, there is some kind of a, she realizes that uh, she's maybe a bit more modern than he is. Yeah. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because of the brooch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the brooch can can count for so many things, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and all she got was an apple. Yeah. But uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> you know, and and he got the he got the watch. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that we we didn't really talk about the religious angle too much, but I think it's a really important aspect of the of the movie. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do think that to some degrees he is paralleling the two different kinds of expressions of. Do you think that, he, like, Lillian Gish says, you're not a, you're not an actual reverend. Um, do you think that that's is that true, or or do you think that he's just a an evil preacher? Or yeah, I think I think he's some, I think he's somebody who's like who kind. I think he's self ordained. I would guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably true. Did you did you have um? What was your theory about the uh, the uh, the ending? Did you did you did you share that with the uh, with the mirroring of the uh... right the the opening and the and yeah. the um? Hold on a second. I it, I think it did sort of relate a a little bit into what I was saying, but okay, sorry. Okay, here's here's what I wrote down. This is going to sound. I wrote this as a as just a note to myself. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll just read it out because I kind of forget what my point was. So, forgive me if this sounds really heavy handed, but I say that the this is in line with this idea of the Southern Gothic. But the the South is haunted, and the children suffer as a result of the injustices of the past and the present, like the Great Depression, which they are haunted by. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Puritanism, there's a Salem witch trial, a Scarlet Letter style to Mitchum's character. The tree, yeah. a corrupt tree, will only bring forth evil fruit. So try as they might, they can't bring up good fruit because the people are still so desperate. The father means well, but he can only save his children by robbing a bank and killing people. Right. And um, which is all things that you you observed as well. But I think that in some ways, like... I. I the father does mean well, but yeah, ultimately ends up doing, you know, just as bad. Or he he may not kill as many people, but he still kills a couple of people, yeah. uh, and he robs money. And and and, you know, it's an environment in which people really, for the most part, can only largely are just compelled to do bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he sees his father being attacked by the police, you know, he has that reaction. And when he sees Mitchum's character being attacked it is it is kind of sort of maybe the same thing to him it's just another person who has looked after them who's done bad things who's being attacked well yeah and I guess if even though they are lousy father figures they're the only father figures that he's had so yeah, yeah. so yeah what's he doesn't know how to feel I guess or yeah how, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's a, a disturbing thought really when you yeah. think about it but um, right. But I think that that that's certainly at work, and then d- does once again sort of demonstrate how crucial that Lillian Gish character w- yes. can, will be or can be to to the kids. Yeah. But then there's only so many Lillian Gish characters out there. Yeah, I'm still looking. <laughs> or or I'll, or maybe I'll maybe I'll just uh, take it on myself. I don't know. Yes, there you go. Start there growing you. my hair, grow my hair a little bit longer, and. Sure. Open up, get yourself a shotgun, open up your house for wayward kids. I don't think you could do that in this day and age. You got to stock up on brooches and apples. 
That's the only thing. Yeah. No, don't get the apples. They they get you the apples. That's, <laughs> that's the deal. But actually, sorry, I, I will end this in just a second, I promise. But but to actually bring these sort of strands together in terms of what we've just been talking about, the apple obviously plays a big um, role in biblical iconography. Yep. Uh, do you think there's, I really don't have an answer to this at all, but do you think that there's something that's going on there? Um, who takes a bite of the apple? At some point, someone takes a bite of the apple and it's very significant. It might be him. But, I think it's um, him, yeah. Uh, but there's lots of biblical, like beyond just the, like the, 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 the going down the river, obviously they reference it uh, with talking about Moses and they talk Moses about in the bull rushes. Yeah. 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 Um, but the fact that he's giving the apple to her is <laughs> kind of reverses it. Like I would think, you know, um, I'm probably missing something big that I should know. Having, having <laughs> I think having, I am too. Having been sent to a Catholic school, I should probably like. Obviously, there's the Garden of Eden, you know, yeah. and, and eating from the tree of knowledge, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the apple has a, a negative connotation there. So yeah, uh, in that scenario. So and in the yeah. context of kind of what we've laid out too, you'd figure when he bites the apple, that's also a bad thing because it's it's really the children who are able to. Mm -hmm. see evil yeah and so if he eats the apple is, is he no longer able to I, I don't know but we're talking about trees here too so maybe it's an apple from a good tree there you go it's the strong there tree you go. yeah that's true yeah that's true and yeah. i suppose i suppose maybe the fact that he gives her an apple is maybe that kind of symbolic sign that he's become a, a good tree that can yeah can bear that, good fruit I, I'll buy that. Okay. What a positive way to finish this off. <laughs> Christmas <That's>, miracle. <laughs> it sure is. Or a Halloween miracle, depending yeah, on how you read the film. Um, so uh, with that in mind, do you do you want to uh, plug anything before we before we head off? Uh yeah. Well, hey, you know, if, if you're in if anybody's in Ottawa, check out the Bytown Cinema. We've got lots of interesting movies playing. Um, Bytown Cinema, Apollo Cinema in Kitchener, Fox Theater in Toronto. We play lots of new movies, but we also play uh, some older genre films, older classics like this one we've been talking about today. Yeah, it's a great the the two that I've been to. I haven't been to the one in Ottawa, but the two that I've been to are fantastic. So I thank you. That as Thanks. Well. Um, so thank you, Daniel, for coming on. I hope you come on again sometime. Yeah, yeah. Well, well maybe we'll talk about uh, something that'll make you uh, squeamish next time, something will get, get, you, uh, get you into the horror zone. But well, I'd be happy to talk about anything. Yeah, anytime. I do want to do, I do want to start doing, I, I had this idea uh, a few weeks ago where, you know, I'm kind of, you know, one of the goals with the with the channel is to try to sort of, you know, introduce things that are, often a little bit off beat or maybe no longer as popular as they once were, or maybe were never popular at all. Um, because I think on some level if people did experience them, they, they might actually enjoy them. Um, but uh, Gina told me you should have people do that to you as well. So uh -huh. uh, have some people come on and, and introduce you to things that they really like. So, yeah, that's a fun um, idea. so that uh, if you want to introduce me to one of your horror movies, Although I'm not, I'm very bad at it. I, I watched uh, Black Christmas last year. Did you not like Black Christmas? It's not that I don't like it. It just, it just, 
it's just hard for me. It's very hard for me to watch to watch those kinds of movies. I liked how Toronto centric it was. Yeah, a lot of U of T in there. Yeah, a lot of U of T, just just random sort of streets. Um, I like that. Um, the language just, on the the language on those phone calls though. <laughs> those crank those prank calls. Oh yeah, crazy. the calls. I forgot about that. Disgusting. <laughs> what these kids get up to nowadays, but. Um, but I don't. I just when when I do get nervous, especially in a more, I, I shouldn't say a more contemporary movie because that movie was made years before I was born. But but uh, more contemporary than the Night of the Hunter, I just get very nervous when somebody. I think somebody's about to get brutally murdered. Yeah, it's. I, yeah, well, I think that's the idea. But, but <laughs> I, I suppose so. I suppose. But but, so. but 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 I can understand not getting joy out of that. That I don't. I don't know that you're. You know that, that that's fair. <laughs> but I. I think it is kind of like, you know, it's like the feeling you get before going on a really scary roller coaster or something like sure. that. Sure. Yeah. I think that so, is what it is. Yeah. For a lot of people. Or just seeing, like, when you've seen enough, it's just wanting to see how they change it. You know what mm, I mean? It's like yes. if you've heard, you've heard enough pop songs, but to hear a new one that changes something a little bit or hearing a cover of a song. Actually, yeah. it's more like covers. It's more like covers because so many horror movies are the same thing over and over again. But to right. hear, to see something a little bit different, you know, if they do something a little bit different with the guitar solo, then right. that's what it's all about. It's yeah. worth it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I did start watching the Universal uh, horror movies. Oh, those are the best. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, they're very good. They're very yeah. good. We watched Bride, Bride of Frankenstein a few, uh, few nights ago. Really like that's that one. Of, that's got some humor to it. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great. Well. With that in mind, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, like I say, I hope you do come on again. And uh, love we'll to. See for those of you who are still with us or who have made it all the way to the end uh, and you haven't subscribed to this channel yet, please subscribe. You'll get wonderful content like you've seen tonight. Um, there's my plug for myself. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, have a good night. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.